you're visiting with us, and I know a number of you are visiting this, uh, this week with us as we're uh, celebrating baptisms a little bit later on this morning. What we do here at Cornerstone is we try to center our gathering around uh, the scriptures, which we believe are God's word to us, God's message, de- declaring not just his truth to us, but declaring his heart to us, revealing uh, who he is as our great father in heaven. And, um, and so that's what we'll be doing. We'll be unpacking a, a, a section of scripture uh, in just a, a few moments. We then uh, take what's, what we call our connection time, which is an opportunity for us to greet one another, to share what's going on in our lives, to see maybe what was, what was God saying to you through the message. Uh, and then we respond to, to what God has said in worship. We respond to his message to us by laying down our lives and, and praising his name and receiving his grace. And part of our uh, responsive worship will be hearing testimonies of God's work in, in the lives of some young people to bring him to, to knowing him and to relationship with him. And we'll be expressing that in baptism. I'll, take, I'll invite you to take a copy of the scriptures, if you, uh, either an app form or a written copy. There are red uh, Bibles in the pew in front of you. And I'll invite you to take a copy and to turn to John chapter 5. As a church family, we are working our way through uh, John's gospel. And I'll note, uh, kids, that if, um, if you didn't grab, get one of these uh, sermon notes for kids handouts on your way in, maybe just kind of raise your hand and maybe one of our ushers can, can bring one to you. But these, this, uh, we've developed this sermon notes for kids just as a way for you to write down some of the things you're hearing and learning or maybe writing down some questions of things. Wow, I find that hard to believe or I don't know what I don't know what that word meant, or I don't, know, I, find, I don't know if I believe this, or I don't understand this. This is confusing to me. And you can talk about this then with your parents, or whoever you're here with, um, maybe on the way home or over lunch today, to talk about, wow, what's, what's God saying to you? And you can hear what God was saying to your mom or dad, or, or whoever you're here with as well. So as a, a church family, we're working our way through John's Gospel, which is a biography uh, written by Jesus' closest friend while he walked on the earth. John, uh, the, the disciple John, the apostle John, was Jesus' closest friend. He, uh, he calls himself in this gospel the disciple whom Jesus loved. They were really good friends. And a few years after Jesus died and, and was buried and rose again and ascended back to heaven, John wrote down... Uh, the life of Jesus in a story that we now call the, the gospel according to John. And the reason why he wrote this, he tells us in John chapter 20, he says, the reason I'm writing this, I'm recording all of this for you for this reason, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you would have life in his name. And so the reason John has written this story and the reason John has written the part of scripture we're going to look at this morning in John chapter 5, the reason he's written it is that you would believe in him and that we all would believe in him. Not just intellectually with our minds say, I believe that Jesus is the Messiah, which means the Christ, which means the the anointed one, the, the promised one of God to come to bring salvation. I believe he's the son of God, but to to not only believe that with our minds, but to to trust in that with our heart and to give and to live as though that's true. And that as we believe in him, as we would trust in him, we would find life, not duty, 
Not boredom. Not cold religion. But that as we believe in him, we would find life. And we begin to understand what it means to be fully alive. And we begin to understand what it means to to experience true joy. And so John's gospel is organized around five or seven signs, he calls them. He could call them miracles, but he calls them signs because he's saying these are these spectacular things that Jesus did, but they're signs because they point to something. They're like a sign. They're, they're, they're directing our attention to something about Jesus, and they're telling us what he's like and what he's all about. And the, the, the section previous to this, the section we're going to read this morning, Jesus, uh, and we talked about this last time, uh, was Jesus healed a man who was laying at a pool called Bethesda. A man who, who had been uh, for 38 years unable to walk. And Jesus, with his words, heals him. He says, Get, take up your mat that you're laying on. Take up your bed and walk. And it was the Sabbath day. You might remember this if you were here with us a couple weeks ago. It was the Sabbath day, which for the Jews meant that they were to do no work. No work. And the religious leaders who had, who had made rules upon rules upon rules in, in order to make sure that they were really, really good... And to feel really good about themselves and their obedience had put rule upon rule upon rule. And they had said, well, um, carrying things, that's work. Not allowed to carry things on Sabbath. And so the, they came to the man who was carrying his bed and said, hey, this is the Sabbath day. What are you doing? You're not allowed to do that. And he says, well, the teacher, the one who healed me, told me to pick it up. So I figure if he can heal me, if, if for 38 years I've been unable to walk and he has the power to say, get up, you're now well. I think he can tell me what to do. And they, the religious leaders come to Jesus and they say, you're making yourself equal with God. You're saying that God is your father and you're the unique son of God. You're making yourself equal with God. You're saying that you are God and so you are blaspheming, which is a fancy word that means you're, ta- you're, you're, you're saying something about God that's not true. And that's worthy of death. And so the religious leaders began to plot how they're going to kill Jesus because he healed the guy. Right? So this is a big deal to them, obviously. So Jesus, in response to this, says these words. And this is the text that we're going to be looking at today in John chapter 5, beginning at verse 19. Then Jesus gave them this answer, which is in response to them saying, hey, you're making yourself equal with God. And he says this, I tell you the truth. The Son, which is himself, can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his Father doing. Because whatever the Son does, the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he does. Yes, to your amazement, he will show him even greater things than these, than this miracle, the sign of healing the man. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, Even so, the Son gives life to whom he's pleased to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. 
I tell you the truth. A time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. Don't be amazed at this. For a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good will rise to live, and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. By myself, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. This is God's word to us today. Now, this is a tough passage. I'll be honest. I would never pick this passage to preach on if we didn't just say, hey, here's, the, here's God's word to us, and we're going to just go through it and he, see all that God has to say to us. This is a hard passage. I've actually worked really hard. I had to work hard this week for once, right? As a pastor, I had to work hard to really figure out, okay, how can I teach this in a way that we'll be able to understand this and grapple with this? Because these are, these are tough truths. And I was re- actually really helped by a, a quote by C.S. Lewis, uh, the man who wrote Chronicles of Narnia. In his book, Mere Christianity, he says this. He says, if Christianity were something we were making up, of course we'd make it easier. Right? If I was making up religion, I would make it easier to understand than this one, like than this passage. This is, this is hard. He says, but it's not. He says, we cannot compete in simplicity with people who are inventing religions. How could we? We're dealing with facts. Of course, anyone can be simple if he doesn't have any facts to bother about. That was, that was strangely comforting to me this week as I'm as I was wrestling with some of these truths and how, okay, how do I, how do I pull out some things for us to, to, to hold on to? These are some deep truths here. And, you know, probably even in the, if this was the first time you've read this passage, you're like, man, what was that all about? And so I, uh, I, I hope to trust that the Lord will say something to each of us uh, this morning. But it's important, you know, as a, as a church family, it's so important that we just walk through the scriptures and, and not, hide, not hide the difficult parts, right? We want to be a church, that, uh, a church family that just takes all that God has to say to us and, and, and try to understand it and wrestle with it and, and chew on it and digest it and make it part of us and not just talk about the things we like to hear. So, you know, if, and, and, and I hope if you're visiting with us, if you're kind of kicking the tires on Christian faith, you're kind of wondering what this is all about, you're window shopping uh, Jesus, and, and I hope that's strangely comforting to you as well, that, that I, we, I think the very best place for you to explore who Jesus is and all that his message means for us is in, is in the context of a community that takes him seriously, that, that doesn't sugarcoat things, that doesn't, um, that doesn't just dress it up and just talk about the attractive things. If I was exploring another religion, if I was exploring Islam, which I'm not, but if I was exploring another religion, I, w- I wouldn't want to like just hear the, the attractive parts and then commit to it and then find out all the other stuff. Oh, by the way, you have to become a jihadi or like, right? Like you want to, you want to understand it all. We want we want to. And so as a, as a faith family, we want to just really take Jesus words seriously. And so we're going to wrestle with this passage today. 
So the first, first thing I want us to kind of see in this passage is what I'll call like, like father, like son. You see that in the, in the passage, right? Like father, like son. That Jesus, as God the Son, is just like his father, God the Father. And what I want us to see in particular about this relationship in this unity, right? We see this great unity that, of, of Jesus and the Father. There's so many things that, that Jesus says, like, just like that his actions are always in line with his Father's actions. His, when someone honors the Son, they're honoring the Father. When Jesus says he only does what's the will of his Father, he only, he, and the Father shows him everything that he's doing. So there's this great, there's so many of these great statements of the unity of the Father and the Son. We, uh, the Christian uh, faith, we believe in what we call the Trinity, that there's one God who's made up of three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And while God the Son is God, fully divine, is God, He is not God the Father, and He is not God the Holy Spirit, though God the Father is God. God the Father is not God the Son, and is not God the Holy Spirit. And likewise for God the Holy Spirit. So we believe in this trinity, this tri-unity, this three in one. One God, three persons. But I want us to look at, specifically this morning, the trajectory, the life trajectory of God the Son. See, God the Son has this exalted, high position. It says things like, He has life in Himself. Right? We have life because we've been given life. And one day our life will be taken from us and we will no longer have life. But God, he's saying the son has life. He's in this exalted, divine position. He says the father loves the son. And the tense of that verb, loves, is that, is, is, it's called the present continuous. It means that the, God the father has always loved the son and does love the son right now and will always love the son. From eternity past to eternity present or future, God the Father loves the Son. And so the, the Son has this really exalted, high position, right? He's equal with God. The Jews were right in saying, Jesus, you're, you're making yourself equal with God. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I am. He's in this high position. But God the Son humbles himself and comes down. And so it says, it says that uh, he became submissive to the Father. He became obedient to the Father. Verses 19 and 20, right? The, what we read. He says, he, I can only do what I see the Father doing. I submit my will to his will. I, he, he lowers himself. He humbles himself and comes down. But then we also see that he's raised back up to another uh, a place of honor. Where all judgment is given to him. Where he has the authority of the Father. And it says all the honor of the Father is given to the Son. It's, it's um, this trajectory of, of being in the exalted place. Of, of, of humbling himself and coming down. And then being raised back up. That, that same trajectory is explained uh, to us in Philippians chapter 2. It says this about Jesus. He says he was in very nature God. And he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, something to be held on to, to clench. I won't let go of this. I'm equal with God. And so I won't let go. It says, he says he didn't do that. 
He didn't clench onto it. He didn't grab onto it and keep it. He said, but he made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. He came down. He became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, we have go back up. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so Jesus, we see in the, 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 the uh, God the Son, we see in the New Testament that he has this exalted position and he comes down. But then he's raised back up to an even, even higher position, to the highest place possible. This is what we would call, at Cornerstone we call, we, we, we want to be all about the gospel of Jesus, good news to us. That, God, that We think the, the scriptures are God's message of good news. He doesn't, he's not, he, doesn't, he doesn't send us a message of bad news. He says, I have good news for you. And so we call that the gospel. And the good news, the gospel has different aspects. And we can look at it from different angles. And we talk about the gospel cause, which is the good news that God has, has caused a reversal of this world's values. He's turned the values of this world on its, on its head. And so that now the way up is down, is to go down. The way to power is to serve. The way to happiness is to not seek your own happiness, but to seek the happiness of other people. That the way to find your life is to lose it. That the way to blessing is to take the curse. The way up is down. Jesus says the way to honor is through a a humbling of yourself and a submitting of yourself. And the Philippians passage actually begins this way. It says, your attitude should be the same as that as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but humbled himself and became obedient. And so his trajectory of being in this exalted position, of humbling himself, and then being raised back to life into a new exalted position, his trajectory is to be our trajectory. You see, Jesus is claiming to be the unique son of God. And he says, invites us to follow him and to follow in his trajectory. It's the same call for us to submit to God's will. It's, it's the same call for, for us. It's an invitation for us to want what he wants and to do what he says. Because that is the path to honor and to life and to joy. To find yourself, you lose your life. To, to find your life, the way to find your life is to lose your life. The way to find joy is not to, find, is not to seek your own joy, but to seek the joy of others. The way to blessing isn't to seek your own blessing, but to, it's, it's to take on the form of a servant. That's the invitation to us to submit our will to God's will. To want what God wants. To love what he loves. To hate what he hates. There's, kind of, there's a couple of aspects to this, to submitting to God's will. There's an aspect of submitting to his will, which would be his command will for us. See, he, 
he has some orders and instructions for us in the scripture. God, God says, hey, you should do these things. And you should not do these things. To submit ourselves to his will means that we would submit ourselves to his commands. And say, I kind of really want to do this. I, have this. I find myself with this desire. But he says not to do that. Or he, I, I really find in myself a desire not to want to do that. I want to stay away from that and I want to go this way. But he says, go this way. And being a disciple of Jesus means denying my will, denying my desires, and and submitting my desires to his desires. It's submitting to his command will, that he gives instructions. Love the truth. Do not lie. But if I tell the truth, my career may not advance. I may even put my job in jeopardy if I have to tell the truth about this situation. And so we, feel, we find ourselves in this, I want to go this way. Because it's the, I feel like it's the way to prosperity. I find it's the way, this is the desire of my heart that I want to advance in my career. But God's saying, love the truth, do not lie. And so as a disciple of Jesus, I will follow him this way. Whole range of issues that he has commands for us, instructions for us. Another aspect of submitting our will to his will is what I would call his plan will, that which, which revolves around the circumstances of your life, right? Uh, we believe in God, our Father, who, who um, orchestrates the events and the circumstances of your life. And sometimes we run our, find ourselves in circumstances where like, if God brought me into this circumstance, I don't know that I could follow him. If God brought this into my life, I'm not sure I love him. I might, in fact, hate him. Right? You, some of us have... And so following, following Jesus means submitting not only to his commands and his instructions, his prohibitions, his exhortations to do certain things, but also submitting to, I will follow him through whatever circumstances he brings into my life. Whether I would pick them or not. I will follow him. I'll submit myself to him. You know, sometimes, sometimes this plays out with um, comparing our, our story to the story of someone else, right? Sometimes we can maybe uh, say, well, man, if I had this person's life, it would be really easy to follow Jesus, right? They've got it good. They've got it all good. Their life is together. Their, their life is easy, and my life, my life is hard. And it's really hard for me to follow Jesus through these circumstances. And if I just had this person's set of circumstances, then I would be, it would be easier for me to follow Jesus. That's not submitting to his plan well for you. You know, Peter, the, the great apostle, Peter struggled with that at one point. In fact, at the very end of John's gospel, Jesus has risen from the dead. And he, call, he says to Peter, he says, Peter, I'm just giving you a heads up. Part of what it will mean for you to follow me is that you're going to be led somewhere where you didn't have to go. And John says, he was talking about the way in which Peter would die. Peter, you're going to, because of your devotion to me, because you call yourself a Christian, you are going to die. Someone will kill you by crucifixion. Peter, that's what your circumstances will be like. And Peter's like, 
What about him? And he points at John. He says, what about him? What, what, what are his circumstances? How's he going to die? And, 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 and Jesus says to Peter, he says, what's that to you? What's that to you? You follow me. You follow me. You follow me through your circumstances. You follow me through your journey, through your path. You follow me. Don't compare your circumstances to to another. We all have our difficulties. Following Jesus is never natural. It always involves the death to ourself of submitting our will to his will, whether that's his command will or his plan will. And friends, that's the path of greatest joy. And that's, as, as a pastor, as a shepherd, as someone who's trying to direct people to follow Jesus, to follow him, and to walk in his ways, and to love him, I find that's my greatest point uh, of trying to convince you, that your greatest joy will be found, actually. It, it, it will not be doldrums. It will not be oppressive to you. But, but following him through your circumstances and following his commands will actually be the path of greatest joy for you. That's the fight of faith. That's the fight of faith. To say, I believe that, that actually denying my own desires and going your way is actually the path of greatest joy. That's the fight of faith for so many of us. That your greatest joy will be found in following him, in submitting to him, and trusting that his plans for me are best. And that his commands for me are not meant to lead me into, into the absence of joy, but into the fullness of joy. You see, God isn't honored when we, when we like, are following him but hate it. Right? That doesn't bring glory and honor to God. We're like, man, I, I really hate the fact that I'm a Christian and follow Jesus. If that's our, that doesn't honor him. And God loves that, that our lives would honor him. And so following in his path is actually the path of greatest joy, of finding true life. It's the path of life. It's the path of great joy to follow him and to submit to him. Do you, do you, can you trust him that his plans for you are best? Um, let me illustrate that, if I can. What if I gave you the offer this morning of writing out the plans for the rest of your life? Take out a piece of paper, take out a pen, and write down to as many details as you like how you want the rest of your life to play out. You can do it. Could you do it? Would you want to do that? Do you trust yourself enough to write out the plans for the rest of your life? Well, if you say, well, yeah, I'd, I'd really like that opportunity. I think I could do a good job. Let me ask you this question. Which self should do it? How about your five-year-old self? How about your 10-year-old self? What would a 10-year-old, would, would your plans now, whatever age you are, would they look different now than they would have if you got that choice when you were five? Or when you were 10? How about when you're 14? That's when we're at our best, right? 14. No offense to the 14-year-olds in the room. When I was 14, I was an idiot. Let, let, I'll, just, I'll throw it out there. When I was 25, I was dumb. Right? I thought I had it together at 25. I thought I was pretty sharp, but I was dumb. I was dense. I was ignorant. 
and I was thick. And now I'm 36, so I've got it together, right? (laughs) Here's the point. Here's the point. In 10 years, I'm going to look at 36-year-old Kevin and say, man, he had no clue, right? Do you trust yourself enough to write out the plans for the rest of your life? Do you have the right perspective? Do you ha- are you at high enough vantage point to know what's actually best for you? Do you trust yourself that much that you would know what's best for you? Or maybe someone in a bit higher perspective. Say the eternal perspective. Say the perspective of knowing everything. The one who made you. The one who loves you. The one who gave his son for you. Maybe, just maybe, we can trust him that he knows what's best for you. The trajectory of the son is that he was in an exalted place. And he humbled himself and he submitted his will He says, I can do nothing except what the Father tells me to do. I submit to him. And it was through that submission, through that trajectory of humbling, that he was actually exalted to the highest place. And the Apostle Paul says, I think even referring to John chapter 5, he's saying, your attitude and your actions, your life, should mirror his. The way to find your life is to lose it. Second, so that's kind of the first thought I'd like us to, to think about and maybe leave with this morning is, would, would, would we submit ourselves to him and follow in that trajectory? Second thing, kind of related, is this question, who is the son? It's a relevant question then, it's a relevant question today. Who is this man, Jesus? Who is he? He's saying some things about himself in this passage that are pretty crazy, actually, when you think about it. Who is this man, Jesus? He's saying in this passage, unmistakably, that he's God. He's saying he has life in himself. He's saying he has all authority to judge, that he will be the one at the end of time, when the dust settles, when the smoke clears, the end of history, he will be the one to settle all accounts. He's saying he has the power to raise the dead. He is saying, maybe the craziest of all, is that a day is coming where he will speak and everyone who ever lived, including you and I and Napoleon and Caesar Augustus and everyone else who has ever lived, will hear his voice, his word, and will come out of their graves wherever it is and will then stand before him for judgment. If you actually just think about that, that's, that's a kind of weird thing to say, right? <laughs> hey, one day I'm going to speak a word and everyone who's ever lived is going to come out of their grave and I'm going to judge them. That's what he says. And some people like to say, well, Jesus, he wasn't God, but he was a good teacher. He was a good man. If he wasn't God, right, he's crazy. He's crazy. Who is this man, Jesus? 
And if, if he is God, if he is the son, then submitting to him makes perfect sense, right? Submitting to him makes perfect sense. But if he's not, he's either deluded or he's evil. So, but it's also a pressing question. It's a relevant question because we have to figure out what do we do with this man, Jesus, the most significant man who's ever walked the earth, most influential person in history. Without question, Jesus of Nazareth. What do we do with him? Who is he? Who is this man, Jesus? But it's also, it's not only a relevant question, it's a pressing question. It's an urgent question. It's a question that demands an answer now because he says that he is the judge. And he says there is a judgment day coming where he will settle all accounts. He says, and justice will be done. I will make sure of it, he says. Justice will be done. Which presses on us a huge issue, right? We feel this issue. We look around this world and we want, we, we desire justice, that justice would finally be done. Because we look around and we see so much injustice. We look around this world and we see so much, so many things that are just so wrong with this world. How many, this week, how many things happened in our world that are just horrifically evil? We saw it in Nice, France. Horrific evil. As this man, one man, takes the lives of 80 other people. And then, and then he's shot, and then he's gone. Where's justice? Where's justice for that? We desire justice. But, but we're not sure we want to judge, because... While I can look out there and see so much injustice, when I look in here, I don't see perfect justice either. And I don't see perfection. And so I desperately want justice in this world, but I'm not sure I want a judge to judge me because I don't know what side of the fence. I'm pretty sure what side of the fence I land on, actually. And I see so much in my heart that's selfish. And I see so much in myself that's not pure. And it's not in line with the will of God. And not, not that, that is not good. That's not beautiful. And so we have this tension. We desire justice. We need justice. We want justice, but I'm not sure we want to judge. And Jesus says, there is a judgment day coming where all accounts will be settled. Verse 28, do not be amazed. A time is coming. When all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good will rise to live, and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. Jesus says there's going to be a judgment, and the, the basis upon which of that judgment will be the deeds, your actions in this life. Your actions in this life will determine how your judgment day will go. You say, so do I have to be really, really good in order to Make it on that day. That's what it seems to be saying, right? If you've done good, don't worry. If you've done evil, watch out. But the scriptures say really clearly that the basis of the judgment will be what you do with the Son and your response to Jesus. He says it in this passage. that it would be those who honor the Son and those who believe, who hears my word and believe in him who sent me, they have eternal life. They will not be condemned. 
And so we have this tension in the scriptures between faith and works. Is it through, are we saved through faith, belief in Jesus, and just trusting him to accomplish the good deeds for me and to pay the penalty for my sin? Am I saved by trusting only in Jesus? Or am I saved by my works? If you follow along in our Bible reading plan that we publish um, you, this morning's passage, there's a couple of um, passages in that reading this morning that would seem to say, man, it's not faith only, it's works. James chapter 1. I read it this morning. It says, you're not saved by faith only, you're saved by works. Faith and works. Here's what it means. Here's what the scriptures teach. The scriptures say you're not, your works, your good deeds, your refusal to do evil deeds, and your decision to do good deeds have no merit before God because your record is imperfect. And you're saved only through faith in Jesus, trusting that his record for you, trusting that he lived the life I should have lived and he died the death I should have died, so now I can be accepted by the Father. But, but the scriptures teach this, that when we believe in Christ, when we trust in him, when we put our faith in him, we believe on him, he gives life. He breathes life into our hearts. He makes our hearts, which are dead, come alive. And hearts that are alive begin to follow him. And so our works, our deeds, our actions are like an index to our heart. You may have a book, right? And a book has an index. An index is a place where you can look and see what's in the book. When you want to see what's in your heart, you look at your actions. Your actions reveal what's in your heart. So your deeds are an index of your heart. Unmistakably, faith. If you, it, Jesus is saying this. He's saying, those who are saved on judgment day aren't those who say they believe. It's those who truly believe. And therefore, their life is changed. And they begin to show, and so, so you can make judgment based on their actions because they're starting to show what the scriptures call the fruit of the Spirit. Love and joy and peace and patience, kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control. That when you're united to Jesus through faith, he gives you his Holy Spirit and he makes you alive and that will change your life. And so if, if you say you believe on Jesus, but there's no change in your heart, there's no change in your life, you haven't truly believed. You can say you believe all you want. You may have been baptized. You may have been confirmed. You may have attend church every Sunday. But if, you're, if, the, if your deeds, if your actions aren't showing your faith, your faith is worthless and void. You say, well, I don't really like a God of judgment. <laughs> the word condemnation here, the word means separation. It means separation. See, the Bible teaches what we call the law of the harvest, that you reap what you sow. You harvest what you planted. If you plant tomato seeds, expect a harvest of tomatoes. Don't expect peaches to grow from a tomato plant. You reap what you sow. And if your life is, is you're continually planting the neglect of God, and you live your life as though God doesn't exist, the judgment will just simply be that you reap what you sow. That if you will plant the seeds of neglect of God, you will, you will, you will harvest, you will reap a harvest of the absence of God. He'll give you what you want. He'll give you what you want. 
If you live your life as though God doesn't exist, if you neglect him, and you, and you, reap, and you sow seeds of the neglect of God, you will reap a harvest of the absence of God. That's what that means. And God, who has life in himself, is the giver of life. When you're absent from him, and when he removes himself from you, that's death. And we come undone. We break to pieces. And so, friends, don't ask for justice before God. Ask for mercy. I tell you the truth, Jesus says, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has, present tense, right now, has eternal life and will not be condemned. He's crossed over from death to life. I tell you the truth, the time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. There's two times in this passage where, he's, where Jesus says, a time is coming, right? I just read the one. Verse 28 is the other time. For a time is coming, and he doesn't say, and now is. He's, he's saying this refers to a future time. When, when, when he, this is the judgment day at the end of history where Jesus will return and he'll speak a word and there will be a resurrection. Everyone will come back to life for judgment. But he's saying in verse 25, a time is coming and has now come. He's saying now starts a time that's ongoing when, those, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. That's the invitation to us this morning. Because now is the time where Jesus speaks a word. And his word is coming to you today. And it's a call to believe in him. It's an invitation to believe in him. That abundant life, spiritual life, connection with God, no longer separation from God, that's what spiritual death is, but connection, relationship, with God is available to you through Jesus. Through the Jesus who came not only to judge, but to take on judgment. You see, Jesus came and he lived the life we should have lived. But he took, not only did he come to judge, he says in other places, I didn't come to judge. I didn't come to condemn. I didn't come to bring death. I came to bring life. And I came to reconnect people to God through his life, which was perfect and beautiful. But he took on the punishment that our sins, that my sin and your sin deserved. And invites us to believe in him, to trust in him. And he promises that all those who would believe in him, who would begin to follow him, would receive eternal life now. Beginning now. You see, eternal life isn't just a quantity, an amount of time, that it goes on forever. Eternal life is a quality It's a quality of life that begins now. He says, a time is coming and now is where you can hear the voice of Jesus and believe in him and live and begin to experience life to the full. That's my prayer for each one of us is that we would this morning hear his voice and that we believe in him and that by believing in him, we'd find life in his name. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, I'm thankful for the men and women, boys and girls in this room who are here to hear from you and 
whom you are speaking to this morning. And Father, I'm, I'm trusting that there's some in this room who are hearing your voice and hearing your invitation to come to you and to trust in Jesus and to follow you through all the days of their life. And friends, if that's one of you, I'd invite you to pray along with me. Father in heaven, I know that I'm a sinner. I haven't, I haven't, I've lived my life as though you don't exist and I've been neglecting you. But I've heard your voice today, Jesus. And I see that you lived the life I should have lived. And I've, but I failed to. And I see that you have taken the judgment that I deserve. You've died the death that I deserve to die so that you could accept me. And so, Father, I receive Jesus. And I trust in him alone to unite me to you. And I enter into relationship with you through your son, Jesus. Father, I pray that your spirit would be moving among us, calling us to faith in Christ. Maybe we've been... Some of us, Lord, have, have been resisting you. We've resisted the plan, your plan will for us. And we're, we're kind of bitter about the circumstances of our life. And we're not sure we want to follow you through them. Some of us have, have been resisting your command will to us. And we've been saying, I don't want to go this way. I want to go my own way. And so, Father, I pray that you would lead each one of us to a point of turning back to you. And laying down our lives before you and saying, I will follow you and I will trust in Jesus. And Father, I pray this all in the name of Jesus, who's the Christ, who's your son.